Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. So let's stand and turn to John 15. And our text this morning will be verses 12 and 13. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. John 15, 12 through 13. Jesus speaking. He said, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So those words, those words in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends is It's a one-sentence summary of the gospel. One-sentence summary of the Christian faith, right? Jesus showed us the path of love by his death, the voluntary laying down of his very life for sinners who were unable to save themselves. Note that I said that Jesus laid down his life for sinners. I mean, even that word today is sort of mocked. You know, to talk about sin and sinners feels like an archaism, like it's a relic of the past, right? But it is, it is the, the fabric of Scripture to talk about sin, holiness, sinners. And so... Jesus laid down his life for sinners. And as we know from other passages, law-breaking sinners are not God's friends. Law-breaking sinners are not God's friends. They are, in fact, what? They're his enemies. They are his enemies. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So, Jesus died for his enemies. The argument of the Apostle Paul, that the Apostle Paul makes in that section of Romans chapter 5 is, It's very interesting in light of Jesus' words that we just read about him dying for his friends, right? Here's the larger context for the statement that I just read. This is Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now think about the words used to describe those for whom Jesus died. Jesus died for the helpless. There's nothing they could do to help themselves. They were helpless because they were dead in their sins. He died for the ungodly, right? Every single man, woman, child that has ever lived has had an an insurmountable mountain of sins. He died for sinners, it says, and then it says he died for his enemies. Enemies, because those who are sinners are engaged in evil deeds and hostile in mind toward God, as it says in Ephesians. Notice in verse 9 of Romans 5, what we have been saved from. What have we we been saved from? The wrath of God. God is angry at sinners every day, right? And we have been saved, if we are in Christ, we have been saved from the wrath of God And the wrath of God is no joke. The wrath of God, if it abides on you today and you don't get regenerated before you die, will abide on you for all eternity. The angry God was propitiated or appeased, right, or satisfied by the death of Jesus Christ. And you, if you are Christ by faith, have now been reconciled to God. The angry God is no longer angry at you. There's now peace. Peace, think of it. Peace between you who continue to sin and God, who is holy, holy, holy. So when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, right, back in John 15, he's speaking to his disciples, likely they're on the road to Gethsemane. They've left the upper room. They're traveling to Gethsemane. The fact that he would call these men friends is wonderful, right? It's wonderful. They're his friends. Um, They... They were, in fact, just like you and me. By nature, they were children of wrath. By nature, they were helpless. By nature, they were ungodly sinners. By nature, they were God's enemies. That pollution, that obstinacy that they continually demonstrated, that hostility is why Jesus offered himself on the cross and had to die. And yet, he does not call them here ungodly and helpless, and his enemies, he calls those apostles his friends. His friends. And he states that, he makes that phrase that's almost like it's so common, it's it's culturally known. You know, he states that there is no greater love than giving up one's life for one's friends the greatest love. 
But wouldn't we say there is a greater love than this? Right? That love that I just described? Isn't it a greater love to lay down one's life for one's enemies? I mean, that's a mind-boggling sort of love. That's a love where we would have to struggle with every fiber of our being to participate in it. Imagine laying down your lives for those, those clinic escorts down at the Greenville Women's Clinic. That's what Jesus did for you. It's barely conceivable dying for someone who is righteous and good. That's what Paul says. But the thought of dying for a hostile, ungodly person who hates you, an enemy, is really inconceivable to us. We might lay down our lives for our spouses, for our children, for our friends. But an enemy? I mean, honestly, an enemy? How can Jesus say that there is no greater love than laying down your life for your friends? Uh, he's shown us a greater love. And that greater love is dying for enemies. Well, the answer to that might be very simple. Let's read these verses in the context that they're set in. Okay? Um. It is a lesson in interpreting specific passage, passages in their context. In the context of the passage, Jesus is talking to the apostles who, through the three years of training together, have become friends. These are his friends. These are his, they're friends with one another. They've been through quite a bit together. That would bond, especially men, together into friendship. Right? The context is not enmity like between God and unregenerate men, but the context is friendship. And within friendship, there is no greater love than laying down your life. In the context of friendship, there is no greater love than laying down your life for your friend. Right? The point is not who one would lay down one's life for, but within friendship, the highest expression of love is, a, is truly a sacrificial love. And so the statement has more to do with the relationship between the disciples than it has to do with the ultimate love, which will always be um, that love that Christ showed toward his enemies, toward sinners. In fact, in the passage, he will keep exhorting them to love one another, right? Be friends, continue being friends to one another, love one another. The immediately preceding verse says as much, this is my commandment that you love one another, love. Then again in verse 17, this I command you that you love one another. It will be tempting, no doubt, in the coming days and years for the apostles to become rivals. Rivals with one another. They, they were faced with the same temptations that, that pastors and elders and church leaders face today. Do you think that pastors don't get jealous of other pastors? Oh, brother. 
Do you think that there aren't rivalries within evangel presbytery? There are. And it's sin. We get bitter at other people's successes. We boast about our triumphs so that we can rub it in other people's faces. Right? We, we are jealous for acknowledgement and we want the respect of others. You know, rather than love, we can bite and devour one another. He commands them, though, not to do that. He commands them. He says, you friends, you get along. You love one another. Truly love one another. And the highest expression that I'm asking you to consider is that you're going to die for one another. That's how much I want you to love one another. And that is the greatest love that friends can have. Actually, physically dying for one another. The highest expression of love between friends is laying one's life down for your friends. Sacrificial, costly, self-denying love is the greatest kind of love. And we get inconvenienced if we have to go out of our way for five minutes to help a brother or sister in the church. <laughs> and here Jesus is like, hey, you know, I just... It's little, I just want you to die for one another, you know. I mean, the tire changes and all that, you know. Not just die for one another. We like to... Okay, if, if sacrificial love is the greatest love, if dying for one another is the greatest love between friends, there are things that we try to make more preeminent when it comes to love in friendship. We like to think that the greatest love between friends is sympathy, don't we? Having feelings of sincere concern for a friend who is experiencing a difficult trial, being with them in it, right? No doubt that is a part of friendship. Friendship won't exist without that sympathy. In Hebrews, we read that the Christians are commended because they showed sympathy to the prisoners, those Christians who had been imprisoned. Jesus, too, even, even now sympathizes because he is like us in certain respects and can therefore be concerned about what we're experiencing. Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And so we like to think that sympathy is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate love within friendship. We also like to think that the greatest love between friends is the wonderful joy of the companionship that arises from shared interest, shared insights, shared activity. Right? We like to think that that's, what, that's the greatest part of friendship is it's like you can be friends and have shared interests and there's no sexual tension. Right? And so this too, I would say, is a very important part of friendship. It's very important that you have shared interests. Friendship really won't develop unless there is that, that affinity. And it's, that's particularly important for the friendships of men. We like to have some common effort. 
We get together and we talk about solving the world's problems. Like idiots. You know, the common interest could be as simple as a love of baseball or a, a shared um, vocation or, or a taste for corned beef and cabbage. You know, it's good stuff. A knowledge of the stock market, right? Friendships, those are like the seeds of friendship that come up, right? It could be as complicated then as, as defending your country during war or assisting someone through severe depression. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves puts it this way, friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Right? But we'd like to, you know, and so we think that, well, the greatest expression of love and friendship is this shared affinity for things. We also like to think that the greatest love between friends is, expressing, is, is expressed by our loyalty to one another. And again, undoubtedly, that's true. Loyalty is very important to friendship. But it is not a blind loyalty that revels in sins together, right? It is to be a loyalty that stops short of affirming one another uh, in that which is destructive or sinful. Our loyalty should always be informed by a fear of God and, and, an, and an ultimate allegiance to Him and His ways, okay? But what a joy... You've experienced this. What a joy when a friend continues to love us when he learns of our terrible sins. Because he's loyal. Right? He's, not, he's, he's somewhat put off by it, but, but he sticks, sticks with you through it. Helps you through it. He, you know, though he does not share in them, he is also not revolted by your sins. And he then covers a multitude of sins by his love. So loyalty is a wonderful part of, of friendship. But what Jesus says here is that when it comes to love between friends, the greatest love is laying down your life for your friend. All the things I've mentioned are very important, but they are not ultimate. They are not the greatest part of love between friends. Laying down your life is the greatest part of love between friends. And it's like, I mean, you start thinking, well, that's too much. It's just like way over the top. Can we do the other things? You know, can I be loyal? But the, the idea of laying down my life for my friends as, a, as an expression of my love is just really inconceivable. I don't love anybody that well. Right? That's what's going through my heart. Now, does that mean death? Does it mean death? Does it mean actually laying down your life, like, like standing in front of a bullet for your friend? Or can we take this, this laying down one's life as a synecdoche? My word of the day. 
If you're a Christian, you have to know the word synecdoche, right? It's a word that speaks of thing, one thing, but it includes a whole host of other things, okay? Like the word wheels, referring to a car, right? It's not just wheels. We speak of getting some new wheels, and we mean wheels that are attached to an axle that has a frame and some kind of engine that gets us from, and maybe a radio, and gets us from point A to point B. That's a synecdoche calling a car my wheels. We speak this way all the time. Laying down one's life does include dying for a friend. It really does. However that might take place, I don't know. But it also includes any sacrificial service. Giving up your time to help, giving up your resources to assist, Sacrificial service is at some level costly. It's unpleasant. It is doing, it is doing that cost-benefit analysis when a need pops up and then completely chucking the results of that out the door and choosing pain because you love your friend. Because you love your friend, you choose pain. You choose inconvenience. You choose giving up time. You choose, do I have to exhort him from Scripture again? Do I have to pick him up off the floor again? Because you love your friend. It means being interrupted. It means changing your plans. It means shouldering some responsibility that you'd rather not shoulder. It means being selfless. I mean, ultimately, it means being like our Savior, right? Who, although he existed in the form of God, didn't argue with God about his equality with him. Didn't insist on his, his equality. But he argued, he, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. NASB 95 pretties it up with the word bondservant, but it's doulos, it's a slave, right? He, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Sacrificial love, dying for his friends. In his case, it's actual death. But it's death, I mean... It's, it's death on a cosmic level. It's, it's Jesus leaving his father's, his, his glorious father's side. It's completely inconvenient. It's completely a downgrade. Right? It is getting in the mud for his enemies who would only become his friends because he died for them. Just before the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus in Ephesians 2, he writes, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And you're like, whoa. I'm not sure I have that in me. Our love is to be sacrificial. Our friendships, our commitments to one another ought to be characterized by sacrificial love. In imitation of our Savior, we ought to give up our time, our goods, our pleasures, our ease 
for the sake of serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That should be the easy part of our love because remember, we are even called to love our enemies. Now, I said that we ought to give up our pleasures and our ease and our comfort for the sake of loving our brothers and sisters, loving one another, but perhaps I should put it this way. We ought to find our pleasure, our ease, our comfort in sacrificially serving others. Right? Right? That should be our joy. That should be our ease. That should be our comfort. To treat others as they have treated us. Right? And they have lived sacrificially. Think about all the people who witnessed to you, who gave up so much when you were a numbskull. When you hated God and you told this guy who was witnessing to you for months that you hated God. And he persisted. He took the abuse. That's sacrificial love took your abuse. And so we ought to find pleasure in being Christ to others. We ought to take delight in helping others in their distress because we have been helped in our ultimate distress, the distress of being dead in our sins, right? The distress that would have led to our eternity in hell if Christ had not suffered for the joy that was set before him. We ought to strive to outdo one another in Christ's likeness. And that pursuit ought to be our greatest joy. But we're so selfish. I'll speak for myself. I'm selfish. Aren't I? We are so wrapped up in our own fears and our own dreads. In our own anxieties, we are always hoping someone else will, will help us. You know, where, where are the people to help me? Who's going to be my friend? And who, I need somebody to sacrificially come along me and hold me up. even while we are unwilling to lift a finger for anybody else. And it's often more than just that we are unwilling to help others. We really are put out by having to do so. We really are annoyed by having to, to help someone out. We huff and puff about it. Let's keep a log this next week about how many times we complain about having to be Christ to other people. That's what all of your complaints are. Man, I just don't want to be Christ to that person. I don't want to say this. I don't want to lift that heavy load. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to change the diaper. I don't, I don't want to pay the bills, you know, whatever. Everything. Remember how Jesus described the Pharisees. He said they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They won't move them with even a finger. 
We're often like those Pharisees, aren't we? We burden other people with our situations and our drama and plead with them for help, but then we are unwilling to turn around and enter into other people's lives in the ways that would prove to be examples of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and the kind of love he's talking about in this passage, right? We wonder, where are my friends? When we should be asking the question, who needs a friend? We wonder, where are my friends? We're, we're asking, instead of asking, who needs a friend? Who needs my help? Who can I serve? Who, who can I love? Who can I die for? Who can I die for? We want others to take up our crosses and are unwilling to be, be Simon. Simon? Simon picked up the cross of Jesus, carried it for him. An example from the Apostle Paul, it was a, a bodily illness that led the Apostle Paul to stop in Galatia and preach the gospel. Many think his illness had to do with his eyes because of what he wrote to that church in his letter. So think about this example in regard to sacrificial love. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians. You know that it was because of bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself... Where then is this sense of blessing you had? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. That's why we think it had to do with his eyes. He may just be using a figure of speech. We don't know. But, but he's like, wow, you guys, you know, why have things changed, right? He's taking a stick to him in the letter, but he's saying, do you remember what you used to be? You, you would have plucked your eyes out for me. But note the first thing that he praises them for, he, he, he praises them for not despising or loathing him for his illness. He praises them that they didn't despise him for his illness. Um, I mean, who would despise somebody for a bodily illness? That seems heartless, doesn't it? Parents? Have you ever gotten angry at your kids when they get the third cold of the winter? Are you not tempted to do this? Uh, let me use myself as an example. And I cleared this with my wife. I have this horrible response to something that frequently happens to my wife. Right? Often when she's trying to talk, she tries to talk while eating and she chokes on her food. It happens several times a week. Okay? It is not infrequent that this occurs. And when it does, I get angry. I get angry, right? I tell her that I don't want our last moment together in this life to happen because she choked at the dinner table while telling me about the hummingbirds. 
<laughs> Whatever it might be. I know I'm disrobing myself in front of you again. I am, I am, I am a sinner. I am shallow and selfish and have need of further sanctification. Right? All of that to say that we can, we can easily despise others for their weaknesses. Okay? We easily do that. Even if they are not the sort of weaknesses that they have any control over. She could refrain from talking while she's got food in her mouth, but... Right? But we can despise people who are suffering, even unjustly suffering. Right? When Jesus was hanging on the tree being crucified by the Romans, what were the Jews shouting in derision? It's like he saved others, he can't save himself. Mocking him as he's being crucified and bleeding and dying and suffering. Mocking him because he can't come down. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Far from sympathy, far from loyalty, far from sacrificial love, we are so unwilling to lift a finger for others that we find justifications in our inactivity that start with us despising and loathing other people for their weaknesses and whatever they're suffering. That's how we insulate ourselves from having to do anything about it. It would be one thing to do that for someone who has made a mess of their life by pursuing their pleasures, but it is truly is another thing to do that in the situation of someone who is either suffering the discipline of the Lord for their sanctification or suffering for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. We can despise all of that. Part of sacrificial love, therefore, is, getting, is, is repenting of our selfish and sinful reactions to other people's suffering. We are too often like Job's friends who essentially keep asking him, what stupid sinful thing did you do to deserve this? Right? Those thoughts go through your head when you hear about somebody's affliction? What stupid, sinful... That's what Job's comforters were saying, comforters. Job's friends. There may, you know... There may indeed be stupid, sinful things we did to bring about anything we suffer, but if that disqualifies us from being loved, well, then all love in the world will dry up and wither away. It'll be gone. The call of, our, of the Christian is love, right? We are especially to love our brothers and sisters in the church, those friends who, with whom we live together, Right? Remember what John wrote in his letter. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to do what? 
lay down our lives for the brethren. So John is echoing John. John is echoing what Jesus said to him on that day. Same teaching in his epistle. Then he goes on to show what that love will be like. It will be tangible. tangible. It will not be uh, simply a feeling. It will be action and not simply emotion. He writes, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word and with tongue, but in deed and truth, by action, according to the word. If we do so, what will be the result? That's what John teaches next in his very clearly lined out epistle. He says, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So, dear brothers and sisters, we could say that loving others sacrificially is its own reward or that it is wonderful just because in it we are imitating the very Son of God, but But John said more than that. When we love our friends, when we love our brothers and sisters in the church, through our actions, we will have confidence that we are God's children. You lack assurance? Well, sacrificially love your brothers and sisters in the church. As we imitate Christ, we become like Christ with the result that we grow in our love for the saints. And so it's this wonderful feedback loop, right? As we grow in our confidence, we serve. And as we serve, we grow in our confidence. And it just keeps building up. So if you're depressed, you're probably isolated and not serving other people. At some level, you're isolated and Satan has gotten you isolated so that you might both lack assurance and not be Christ to other people. Okay, But if you want it, confidence, go serve. Serve here. Clean the bathroom before you leave. Now, we have people to do that. But, but yeah, look around you. Talk to somebody. So let's excel still more in our love for one another. Let's stop despising one another's weaknesses and put our love for one another into action. Let's have a commitment to one another that is saturated in this sacrificial love. And children, little children in here, this commitment to sacrificial love cannot wait until you are adults. Do it now. Sacrificially love your siblings. You have love to offer to your parents. Sacrificially love your parents, your siblings, your friends, this church. The time to start that is yesterday. So obey Jesus who told us, this is my commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we are selfish and do not want to lay down our lives for our friends. And so I pray that you would work repentance in us by your Holy Spirit, that you would take us off of ourselves, and that we would see the glory of being like Jesus and living sacrificially for the benefit of others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.